We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. Joined, as always, by my co-host, John Ellis. John, how are you? Billy, I'm good. I'm live on location from my front porch because my 16-year-old's having a party tonight. <laughs> we had a minor gas leak in the house that got fixed, and we've got you and I both jobs galore, but we can't wait to break down the Panthers. We're finally back, man. Um, I want to start with the final roster. And I, I think there wasn't anything shocking to me as far as like how this team has been constructed, John. The shocking and almost predicting predictable thing has been it's been two things that have been predictable that we both called. Um, the depth on this team is very is being challenged very seriously right now, especially at the wide receiver position. And I think you and I are both pleased to see that Chandler Savala being named the starter at right guard. But, you know, there were some concerning things about this offensive line in the preseason. Again, I'm not going to take too much away from it. I want to see how they do uh, when the real game start, which will be this Sunday at 1 p.m. But overall, I think this the depth right now is being severely challenged. I mean, you and I kind of laughed at this Josh Norris tweet about LaVisca Chenault potentially working outside. I, that would be a disaster waiting to happen. I hope his coaching staff is smart enough not to do that. But John, just take me through your analysis of where this roster stands as it's currently, as it stands today, because obviously you had the 53-man roster, but there have been plenty of injuries that we need to discuss. Yeah, Billy, it's concerning from the wide receiver perspective. You mentioned the opportunity for Jonathan Mingo here. Here's the injury report from today. DJ Chark did not practice with a hamstring. You've got Terrace Marshall limited with back issues still and this has been lingering throughout camp and then the one that popped up today was adam thielen with the ankle um they just acquired and we can talk about this later in the show amir smith marset who you know brings some speed i don't know how much to expect there but he's dealing with an ankle injury although he was a full participant so yeah i think billy the the big question is right now wide receiver i think you know coming from that final preseason game and you know we respect jto sullivan a lot. And, you know, I was at that game covering it in the press box and got a good bird's eye view, all 22 view live of what was happening. And I kind of noticed in real time what he was seeing there. Again, it's preseason, but there's some separation issues at times of these receivers. And it's going to be interesting to see if a guy like Chark can get back in the lineup with his speed, his ability. Although at the boundary X, there's some questions still about his ability to separate. Uh, the Thielen one is big because, you know, to get down to the red zone, that's kind of what you rely on right now, you know, with the ability of Hayden Hurst there in the red zone. That's a good plus. But at the receiver position, that's what I'm keeping my eye on as much as anything with the injuries because, you know, you can't go into week one feeling that great if Chark is out, if Marshall is out on top of that, and then you're dealing with Thielen all, all of a sudden with the ankle injury. Yeah, I'm I'm really dis- – I'm not disappointed in the player. I'm just disappointed at the situation – uh, when it comes to Marshall, because yeah, Marshall and Chark, I and mean, we've both said it that they are unfortunately they have the injury label designation attached to them, and the only way that for them to uh, reverse that is to be healthy and on the field. However, uh, you know the kind of durability questions have been uh, really been put to the test with these two individuals, and I do kind of feel for Adam Thielen. Like, look, I, I think he. I think you and I know what he is at this stage of his career. And 
uh, putting that kind of stress on him to be the alpha wide receiver. I just think it's asking a little too much and don't get me wrong. I'm sure he welcomes that challenge, but I just feel like in today's modern NFL, you need multiple opportunities and uh, pass catchers who can provide opportunities for young. And I'll say it once and I'll say it again. Bryce young is the least of my concerns as far as this franchise is concerned. Yeah. When it comes to this franchise, like nothing he did in the preseason surprised me just because that's exactly what I saw at Alabama. So I'm not worried one bit about the quarterback situation. What I am worried about, um, you know, the wide receiver. And let's take stock in the offensive line now, John, because, you know, you also were a fan of Zavala coming out of the draft. What do you make of this unit as it heads into week one? It's exciting that Zavala's got the starting spot. I I wish Austin Corbett uh, a speedy recovery. I know a lot of Panthers fans agree because, I, you know, Mike K, our good friend from the Observer, you know, really came in hot with this take. And I don't necessarily disagree that Corbett was one of the more valuable players on this offense last year. And I, I don't disagree because, you know, you look at the number of snaps he's had over the past few years, how durable he's been, how effective he was with the Rams, and not only the run game, but in pass protection. And now they're missing that piece. And all it takes is one piece in a unit at five that played so well together last season. To, to go a little bit south. And as we've talked about before, I, I'm not going to read too much into the preseason as far as offensive line. If you start seeing in the week one, week two, week three, these issues persist, persist especially with Akeem Aquano at left tackle. We, we talked about it last year. Unfinished product, perhaps, in pass protection. And we've seen some not-so-great moments from Big 7 out there in pass protection and pass sets. So we got to see more from him. That's going to be crucial. Atlanta, not known for a pass rush, but you know they can manufacture that. But you start getting into, you know, second wave of that schedule and Corbett's out for four weeks. It's going to be crucial. You place teams like New Orleans and others who have legitimate pass rushers uh, to be able to clean that up. That's a concern. And it has nothing to do with Bryce Young's height. You know, the frame, it is what it is. We'll figure out if he can last 16 games or not or 17 games. But the ability just to have any quarterback, whether it's Burrow, we've seen him go through this in Cincinnati. You don't want your rookie quarterback running in circles without the ability to sit in the pocket, progress, and go through a natural progression. And, and hopefully Corbett's absence doesn't uh, doesn't cost him. Cade Mays looks like he's healthier. That helps them. But um, he's he's on the depth chart, at least at backup center now. He can play both center and guard. I think Zavala will be fine, but it's a drop-off with Corbett out. Yeah, and for me, like the biggest thing with Zavala, just like Iquano, it's weird too because at NC State, they weren't necessarily like a ground-and-pound offense. I mean, they had a lot of balance in their games, but um, overall, I mean, they certainly passed the ball. And so it's not like they're – it's going to be a culture shock for them when it comes to an NFL offense, especially with Frank Reich and Thomas Brown and Josh McCown who were – you know have made it known that they want to kind of spread out and throw the ball. I mean, that plays into Bryce Young's strength. So yeah, for me, I, I definitely think that's an area that has to improve. As far as Equano is concerned, I agree. Like I, I'm not worried one bit about the run blocking. It's the pass blocking. And yeah, you know, we've mentioned on this show ever since he got drafted, that's an area that he really has to improve on. You know, the preseason is a preseason. There's a lot of players who have really poor preseasons and yeah, once the real game started, it gets better. So for Equano, it's just about, upward progression uh he experienced that upward progression last year and i'm hoping that he really takes a step and becomes you know at least an average pass blocker i I don't think that's asking too much from a guy that was picked in the top 10 of the draft um no it's not it's you know to your point again we go back to this stat last year again where pff had really amped him up and got maybe fans unfairly so to akeem a little over um over-amplified in expectations. I think there were some pass sets that were good for him last year. There were some moments, too, of growth. And that game against the Rams was not a good indicator of what he is as a pass protector because that entire game were passes thrown with one second, you know, after the snap, sideways horizontal football. And now we're going to have to see, look, against a hungry Atlanta team and then a hungry New Orleans team after that, how he holds up against what's going to be some aggression there, some real true aggression, some downhill rushing from uh, capable pass rushers. It didn't look good in the preseason. I'm not going to read too much into it, but again, you get around week three, week four, and this issue persists. Um, the other thing too, we mentioned Billy on the last podcast, 
there's a lot of marrying of concepts with fundamentals that are going on right now. James Campen is back, but this is a brand new offense, brand new scheme, brand new structure. That stuff takes time. So we'll see how that bleeds into the regular season, if at all. Yeah, I've been listening to some of the athletic football show, and they've been mentioning this point with a lot of the new offenses that have been um, that are being introduced this season. And all you know, Nate Tice, who does such a great job on that show, said that you know, talk to me in week three about how this offense looks. Talk to me in week three about how you know Mike McCarthy is going to be calling plays. I'll echo that statement when it comes to the Panthers. Talk to me in week three about how Frank Reich, Thomas Brown, and this entire operation looks after week three. And if it's, again, um, you know, Bill Belichick and the Patriots organization over the years have been known to treat the first four weeks as an extension of the preseason just to get, you know, fully, like, immersed. Obviously, you don't want to be wasting any time, you know, games. But, look, it's a transition. We all know that the offense that they – showed in the preseason has been I mean that word vanilla has been used at length so I'm going to be patient with it I'm not going to overreact to any type of uh, you know schematic issues that are occurring the first couple weeks if it persists into October then we could have serious questions but you know I do trust this coaching staff from an operation scheme perspective I know they had you know some issues with that in their third preseason game so you know let's hope it's ironed out and I just want to mention one thing I know you also um I mean, this Atlanta pass rush, it, it's not like the old days. I mean, uh, Grady Jarrett continues to be like one of the best interior defensive linemen, but they also added Calais Campbell and David Onyemeta, who is coming from the Saints. And on top of that, it's a brand new scheme. Uh, edge rushing wise, yeah, it's not a very you know, inspiring unit, but uh, Ryan Nielsen, who's coached under Dennis Allen, uh, again, it's going to be a lot of that Saints style defense where you see a lot of pressure and uh, different zone looks to really confuse the QB. So it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a very tough matchup. Uh, Terrell is a very good cornerback, and they signed uh, Bates from Cincinnati to a big deal. So uh, I do think this defense isn't like the old Falcons defenses that we're accustomed to. So uh, very tough matchup, and it it's even amplified more given the injury situation with Carolina. Yeah, and quickly on that, I think the interior portion of the line too. You know, Bozeman had some flashes last year, but there's also some things on tape from the preseason that would concern you a little bit. I think what you're looking for here, you mentioned Grady Jarrett. That's a scary matchup there, whether it's against uh, the rookie Zavala, whether you're going against Christensen, who has ups and downs there in pass protection. That's where you might you know, need to see Bryce Young. We talk about the Steph Curry element that Frank Reich had talked about. He's going to have to move around a little bit in this game, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I think the biggest help for Bryce Young will be the introduction of a run game. Now, it was, I mean, Miles Sanders, I don't think he played a snap in the preseason. There was a report about groin injuries and whatnot. But uh, according to Mike K, it seems like the groin injury only lasted for a couple of days and he's been uh, pretty much healthy throughout. So he's going to be a full workload, you know, heading into week one. And I think that's a pretty big component that a lot of people aren't mentioning. And, you know, I don't know what Frank Reich's you know, run pass distribution is going to be, but I don't think it hurts to really establish a presence running the ball, especially given the situation with the pass protection unit and also a rookie QB playing on the road in his first game. Oh, I think it's huge, Bill. I saw the report you saw earlier about uh, Miles Sanders from our buddy Mike Kay, and I think that that's a big piece to look for in this game, a guy that has veteran experience, Obviously, you didn't see any of him in the preseason. I think it was wise of the staff to keep him on the shelf. But, you know, in the RPO game and also just, you know, straight up under center, if they're going to line up in 12 personnel, which I think they will do, they've got two uh, very good blocking tight ends there. And and Thomas and Trimble, Hurst can do some of that as well. And I think that that's your best friend at this point. Slow the game down a little bit. Give Bryce an opportunity to play a balanced attack. I, it was, it's one of those games, obviously, with the wide receiver situation being what it is, where you'd like to see, you know, if you can get into the course of a game, much like Atlanta against Carolina in the uh, dome down there a couple of years ago where Chuba Hubbard and others had a big day on the ground. If you can get that thing going and get those offensive linemen, Billy, getting out in space early and get some confidence, that's a big deal for an offensive line. So I think as much as Sanders – getting his confidence in the game. I don't think he's short on confidence, but getting this offensive line in rhythm, getting a good running game going, they can establish the line of scrimmage and move it early on 
it's a good sign for this team. If not, if you're bottling, you know, Sanders up at the line of scrimmage consistently in this game with some formidable run stoppers on that front for Atlanta, that, then you've got a bit of an issue there. So the first, you know, 15 minutes of that game were everything. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about just coming out, establishing a presence and playing with the lead. I think that'll really help this team and give them confidence as the game goes on because that's going to be their best shot to really pull off this upset. And and currently, you know, Carolina is an underdog as it stands right now, and that shouldn't be surprising playing on the road against a uh, Falcons team entering year three of their regime that spent a lot of money in free agency. Uh, you know, I don't care who their quarterback is. They're much more talented at this stage of their uh, re- team-building process in Carolina. Um Arthur Smith is a hell of a coach, and so that's that's yeah, he is. Challenge. He 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 knows football very well, and he understands, um, you know, how to really get a team ready. And I think he showed it last year. All right, John, um, yeah, the biggest news as it pertains to this franchise as, as it currently stands is the situation with Brian Burns. Um, again, something else that I mean, I don't want to keep tooting the drum of our own horn here, but I mean, we called this last year when the report came out that Carolina turned down multiple first round picks for Brian Burns. Um, You know, both of us said at that point, we referenced a report or not a report, but a a very good point that was made by Joel Corey, who is an NFL contracts analyst. He said that Brian Burns and his representatives have all the leverage here, given Carolina just turned down multiple first round picks for him. Now we can have a discussion and analyze whether he's worth that much money, Nick Bosa, as it stands today, September 6th, just got a $34 million per year deal. Um, Look, I love, I mean, both of us respect Brian Burns a lot, but let's be honest, he is nowhere near that talent level of Nick Bosa. And I mean, this is the bed Carolina and this general manager, Scott Fitter, have put put himself in. You turned down those first round picks for a guy that you thought you rated him that highly. I mean, obviously he's going to want to be paid his worth given the situation, given how much you valued him at that point last year. And we both mentioned it. And so as it stands right now, that Burns, you know, he's in the facility, you know, he had his helmet on and went to practice, but he didn't really take part in it. So it's a very interesting situation. Uh, Brian Burns is obviously a pro's pro. He's not necessarily going to, you know, cause any distractions, but you know, Hey, uh, he's there. He's in person. He wants to play. I just think this is now in Carolina's court. They have to pay him because I mean, you made the decision last October, whenever you turned down two first round picks from the Los Angeles Rams, that this is a player that you value this highly. So he should be compensated that way. And we can analyze if he's worth that. I'm totally fine having that conversation, but you know, as it stands right now, Carolina really has no leverage. Yeah, a couple points on this. Number one, I I, I fully anticipate this deal to get done. Um, I, I think it's getting done by the time most people hear this podcast. Now, you know, again, freezing cold takes me to death if it doesn't. <laughs> I I think the Bosa thing was looming from Burns' camp. Not that they're expecting Bosa money, not that they realistically think they're going to get it. But to see the market get reset in the way it did, it, it, Billy, Bill, Bosa is now the 15th highest paid player in the NFL on average. That's an unbelievable contract he landed. And look, he deserves it. He's a great player. And I agree. I, I think Burns is an exceptional player. I think Bosa has a little more bona fides at this point. And I think Brian's, you know, people probably understand the fact that they're probably not going to get Bosa money, but they're trying to see where the market was reset. It's now been reset. And I would expect in the next 48 hours or so, if not sooner, something to get done somewhere in the neighborhood between what Bosa got and what Max Crosby makes right now for the Raiders. That's the sweet spot, I think, that the Panthers are trying to reach. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned it. You know, he was part of the trade talks, not only with the Rams, but the Bears. And when when you lose your leverage like that, when Scott Fitterer is, has been in Frank Reich, too, has been singing the praises of Brian Burns, and rightfully so. He's a team player, and he had, you know, 10-plus sacks last year, finally broke double digits, and he is, for what this defense is, the the, the core piece up front is going to be able to create pass rush. He understands. I think Brian understands very clearly, without being disrespectful, looking across the line there at the struggles of YGM. And YGM is going to have a certain role in this defense. 
Justin Houston coming in. He gives you some, you know, value, but he's on the flip side of 30, no doubt. Brian is playing the long game here, but at least he's been in the building in meetings. I was around Brian a couple weeks ago after that Lions game. We talked a little bit. No doubt he wants to be here. There's no question, but this is the business side of it. And again, I'd be shocked if by the time people heard this podcast, maybe on Thursday or Friday, that deal wasn't signed, sealed, and delivered. He'll forfeit $900,000 per game if he sits out. I don't think anybody's in the mood to do that right now, especially Brian Burns. So with that said, that's all I know on the situation from a reporting perspective. From a field perspective, I think the deal gets done pretty quick. A lot of fans will probably be stunned at the number. But um, we'll have to see how Scott and his staff get this thing worked out. It is um, interesting. At least Brian has been in the building. I'll say that. He's been there in meetings. He had his helmet on today at practice as we come to you on a Wednesday. Um, but, yeah, it's a big year for him. I mean, obviously, he's going to get paid and uh, time to produce. Time to produce at a big-time level. Time to start racking in 15, 16 sacks like uh, some of the big names in the league have, such as Bosa. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, this is on Carolina. I mean, th- this is you know how much leverage Brian Burns has. I mean, he... Obviously, he has the looming threat of, you know, missing games, but I don't think he's in that business at all. And I, again, I agree with you that he's probably going to get it. Again, I have no intel, by the way. I'm just speaking just on my own uh, thoughts and merits because he's not the only player to, you know, have this type of holdout. Chris Jones in Kansas City is also going through one. So, yeah, the the Bosa shoe obviously dropped. Uh, but John, it's th- this is on Carolina. You can't. No one should be blaming Brian Burns in this situation. Now, let's let's have a frank discussion about if Brian Burns is worth that. Do I think he's going to be worth upwards of twenty? I mean, twenty eight million a year is fine. If it's like thirty million a year, I, I mean, now we're kind of getting in a situation that I think we need to be a little cognizant of you know what we're giving him and again i'm not suggesting that he isn't a talented player and he shouldn't be paid you know the top of the market obviously a player his um you know with his pedigree and his um you know situation given how young he is he's gonna get paid quite a bit amount um i just would be very careful about acquiescing to whatever demand he wants. And I hope there is a middle ground kind of established here. And at the end of the day, pretty soon (laughs) at the end of the day, I agree that Burns has all the leverage, but if, and when Burns does get this monstrous deal, he has to produce. We have to hold him to a very high standard at this point where he needs to be producing double-digit sacks, 20-plus pressures, making game-changing plays. I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't be top five in every single pass-rushing metric at by the end of the year if and when he gets this deal. There's the element, too, Billy, as you know, about uh, holding your edge against the run, and we want to see production there, too. And I think... You know, Burns gives you some of that, and I, I think you know it, it, there will be a lot of wide open eyes when this deal, if and when it gets announced before this game week one, about oh my god, how much money is this? How much money did Carolina sacrifice? You know, I, I get back to what guys like Pat Kerwin have said over the years, and I know you respect him, I do too. And it's an adage that goes back to the day of uh, the, you know the, the '60s and '70s with contracts. The longer you wait, the more expensive it gets. And so now here they are. They, they've waited this thing out. Carolina has. Brian has waited this thing out. And, you know, to your to your point, you know, I, I admire the fact that Burns, as a player, understands this team doesn't have a lot of big number dollar contracts on the books right now. You can look at Shaq and other guys, but there's plenty of room to invest in a guy like Burns but you're exactly right. I think Brian be the first guy to tell you that once he gets paid, yeah, hold me to a high standard. Analyze every play and hold me to that uh, hold me to that standard what I'm going to make. I, I know he's not going to boast some money. That I just don't see it happening. I'd wish it for him. I mean, I like him personally, 
but you know the business of it. I think it's somewhere between what Burns or what uh, Bosa got today, and what Max Crosby's making right now. I talked to Brad Spielberger. You know Brad pretty well. He was on my show today on Fox Sports, and we were talking about the great resource, by the way. Yeah, Brad's as good as anybody on this stuff. And Brad made the point that you know, hey, you know what? The, the cap keeps going up. The market will keep resetting, and what Burns makes is not necessarily indicative of where he stands in terms of elite edge rushers, not to discredit Burns, but other edge rushers are going to continue to cash in on that money or even over that amount in the future. And and we've seen T.J. Watt get paid. We have saw Bosa get paid. Aaron Donald got a huge uh, contract here recently at the defensive tackle position. Some of these defensive tackles, that's another thing with Derek Brown. you got to keep an eye on that, too. You're going to start paying some guys. You want to keep this core together. So – Keep that in mind, too. The structure of the contract is important. How is it spread out? And uh, were the guaranteed dollars involved? they got some big decisions to make, and Burns is right there front and center. Hey, y'all, John Ellis here for Prize Picks, a simple way to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. It's the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You can select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. I just picked Justin Jefferson to have more than seven receptions. You can do the same uh, with a laundry list of players and opportunities out there. Price Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Price Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Go to pricepicks.com slash roar and use code ROAR for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy at Price Picks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. According to Joe Person, the Panthers are reportedly offering Brian Burns a deal worth around $23 million per year. So that's about $11 million difference between what Bosa received and what is being reported by Joe. Spielberger today said if he was in Burns' camp, he would take that contract and to use a better phrase, sneeze on it and then tear it up and say, go back to work. That was Brad's take on it. But but no, I saw that report too from Joe and I, I don't think Brian's going to settle for that number. Absolutely. And this just gets to a larger point about some of the issues that I'm having with this front office right now, because there's no reason that when the new league year opened, it's very clear that you value Brian Burns at this, you know, very high amount. So I just wish they can be much more proactive with these type of decisions and waiting until week one. I don't think it does anyone any good. And there are other edge defenders who got paid this offseason. It's not like Bosa, you know, has been the only one to hold out. So for me, I just there, there's a, a couple things that with this front office that I'm going to have just a very close eye on. And I'm not going to sit here and just turn this into a, you know, bash them and just look at all of their issues. But I do think it's fair to analyze what is being done is currently having an effect on this franchise because if you got this done in March or April or May then you wouldn't be in this position now secondly 
as it pertains to the um, final rosters, I just can't get it out of my head about how many recent draft picks players that were taken on day two have just all of a sudden moved on. I mean, that Matt Corral trade, it just looks like an absolute disaster in every sense of the imagination. And, you know, the fact that he ends up in New England, the team that you gave all those draft assets to move up for is quite ironic. And I just, I can't emphasize it enough. I'll keep saying it. This is probably the last time I'll stay until the off season. And this franchise needs to just be much more sensitive about just sending it away draft picks when they have to be much they need to take an approach that mimics other successful franchises and that's accumulating a lot more picks giving your margin a much higher degree of error because right now you're looking at a 2022 draft class where your the second draft pick you made in that class is already gone and so you have a lot of pressure on the first pick that was taken in, in that class. Um, you know, Amari Barno, I mean, he, I think he still has a role. Brandon Smith, I mean, didn't he get cut? Uh, I mean, I think Brandon, I think Brandon's still around, but Brandon has, has they kept him in, in lieu of uh, Deion Jones. That was a surprising cut, by the way. I, I, I thought Deion had a really good camp, but I, I don't know the full story there. But yeah, you have to look into Brandon. I, I you know, yeah, look, no, he, with, he was he was cut and then he made it through waivers, and it seems like I just looked at it now. The Jets worked him out today, so I'm just saying, John. Okay. Looking at that 22 class, Iquanu, a lot of question marks. He needs to have a big year. Corral gone, Smith gone, Barno. I mean, we'll see. Rotational edge rusher, he certainly, um, you know, can provide some juice on the edge. But you know, Marquise Haynes, he's out. He's on injury reserve. He's going to be out for the first four weeks. And, you know, Caden Mays was certainly a decent find, but he's right now a, um, you know, backup offensive lineman. So I think just my overall point here is this. This front office, I mean, you they remade the entire front office. You hired guys like Dan Morgan and Cole Spencer to come in and revamp the college scouting process. If you're going to do that, then you need to take a much more holistic approach to these type of situations where you're not cutting rookies in their second year. And, if you're going to cut rookies in their second year, well, maybe you should really search and figure out a way to accumulate more draft capital, trade down, give yourself higher margin of error. And yeah, I just think this front office right now, it's it's been a little questionable. Um, I just have some issues with you know how they've operated. And uh, I mean, certainly you can blame Matt Rule for some of these issues. Uh, good luck to Deion Sanders this week, by the way. Um, but yeah, so I, I just... Those are just my concerns with this front office, and I hope that this is just the last of it. You mentioned Matt Rule. You know, talking to people around the operation there, nobody's going to throw Matt under the bus. But then you talk to people who have covered the team for a while. And, you know, you and I know this. We've we've been doing this podcast. This is the fourth season now. Uh, I'm going to give Fitterer and his his revamped team and Dan Morgan and Cole Spencer – sort of a, a calendar year grace period to get too critical on what's going on. I I think Ben McAdoo was a huge proponent of Matt Corral. And again, Scott's got to have some accountability here, but you got to have to understand Matt rule had a lot of authority, even last season with that draft. Um, I'm not standing up for this front office. I'm not paid to do that. I'm paid to report uh, for iHeartRadio and for this uh, fine show here on blue wire. So, you know, my take on that is, you know, Scott, is is doing his best here to make decisions that benefit the team. Frank understands his role as a coach. It's it's truly a collaborative effort now because everybody kind of knows their role and there's no, you know, I'm sorry, here, here's the word, dick measuring contest in terms of who's going to run the draft, who's going to run personnel. It really is about Scott running his department, Frank running the coaching side, Let's see how that plays out. But Matt Corral, that was certainly disappointing. Yeah, with all the context behind the draft trade, they, they get him, and then New England ended up cashing in on him. I don't think there was another waiver claim put in for Matt other than New England from what I read, but it's certainly frustrating. And, and, you know, he had some ups and downs here. But, again, when you get injured in your first preseason action there in New England um, with the Liz Frank, it sets you back. Um, yeah, moving forward, you got to be better in terms of just letting your scouts scout 
letting your front office do the front office work and let your coaches coach. And I think they finally have the right formula here. But yeah, it's frustrating. Matt Corral, I mean, you, you got you, you look at draft assets from the past. You got to become one of those teams like Philadelphia, like New England, like other successful teams consistently over the years that are able to maximize on draft capital, not necessarily nailing all your draft picks, but at least you get the draft capital part down. But Matt Corral, he's uh, off to New England, no doubt. And let me just re- reiterate a couple of things here. I'm not blaming Scott Fitter for this. I mean, this is a entire front office situation. I mean, Cole Spencer was brought in as a college scouting director. You know, Dan Morgan came in a couple months after Scott Fitter. Uh, I know they just hired Adrian Wilson. So, I mean, he certainly doesn't really bear any responsibility given he just came here like, um, you know, a few months ago. And I think that's a good hire, by the way. And he was um, in high regard with the Cardinals front office. And so, like, yeah, I, I don't want it to make it seem like it's just a Scott Fitter thing. And then Samir Suleiman, I mean, you are this capologist who, you know, your expertise is in the cap. I mean, you should have a very good sense of what type of direction the edge rusher market is going to be in, you know, in a few months time. And so, you know, offering that 23 million, him turning it down, like, why couldn't we kind of increase the offer a few more million, you know, back in March and May or April. So it's just about being proactive, just doing things the right way. I'm certainly not out on anyone in the front office. I want to make that very clear. I just think they need to do their job better again. Um, you know, the former head coach of, or the former head coach of this franchise, now the current head coach of Nebraska football, go Colorado Buffs this Saturday, by the way. Um, you know, he certainly had a lot of autonomy and issues, you know, issue, the issues that came up in this front office, he certainly bears the full majority of it. Uh, but I also think that, you know, certain members of this front office also have to pick up their weight now that he's gone. Um, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, look, Matt, uh, just being around that operation, I just, just give me a quick two minutes here on this, just covering the team on the beat. It's a much different perspective. Get inside the building. The, the PR staff, much more receptive, at least to me being on, on campus there, if you will. Um, I think you know, from things you hear about from, from Coach Rule, and you see some former guys that were around here, whether it was through the communications department, whether it was the, the, the social media team, whether it was you know people that just worked in the building. You hear the same thing about the, the difference between having Matt in the building and having Frank there understanding his role with Scott in this front office, understanding their role. It's much cleaner now than it was. And I think we've chronicled ad nauseum what we went through with Matt Rule. It was not great. Uh, David Tepper understood early on last year. Look, it's time to move on. Hat tip to Steve Wilkes, by the way, for coming in and restoring some some culture. That's a popular word. but he, he Professionalism. Professionalism, yeah. We talk about, you know, I think, uh, was it Mike or Joe person, one of the others t- today mentioned uh, on Twitter. I think it was Darren Gann, actually. So I did a profile on Frank Reich. And I think you know, Darren and I have gotten closer over the past few weeks. And Darren said something, you can bullshit guys all day long in the locker room, but eventually they figure it out. I think that's a big part. But if, in fact, in fact, at the roster building perspective, what you're saying here, yeah, look, this is time to, to to look closer at what Scott Fitter and his staff are doing. If it works out over the next couple of years and it starts with this Burns extension, Derek Brown's on deck and many others. Oh, God, man, it's, it's about critical, that. Time. critical time. Critical time. Critical yeah, no, time. I, I agree. I just, I'm glad you brought it up. I forgot Brown definitely deserves to be paid. And oh, boy, hopefully this Chris Jones situation doesn't like. Look, I, I obviously, oh, you know, dude. Brown deserves as much money as it, possible, it, but it, my it, gosh, it, the. I, these IDOs, these interior defensive linemen, they're getting paid like never before. I yeah, mean, he's mean, in. What did uh, Dexter Lawrence got a big deal this? Oh all. my God, ninety million! Jesus. Yeah, they're all getting paid right now. So Derek is just sitting there like, all right, you know, I just keep being Derek Brown as is on tape. Didn't have a lot of sacks, but obviously just a, a, a premier run stuffer, and he's getting a lot of good, uh, good publicity there right now. He's a good player. He's going to get paid somewhere, so we'll see if it's here or somewhere else. No doubt. Okay, um, let's transition, John, now to, you know, what we think about this team going into this season. Um, you know, I don't really necessarily have a record prediction. Well, maybe I do, but I just want to get your thoughts on kind of where things stand and where you think things are going to be. Just give me like a maybe you don't have to give me like a record prediction, but 
What are your expectations this season with this franchise? Well, every se- every season's different, Bill. I mean, that's the thing. You know, we we like to think the carryover effect from last year to this year would would be palpable. I I I love talking to the players. That's the one thing about having access. It's great talking to Shaq Thompson, who pretty much said, you know, look, dismissed it and said, I'm not here to, to reestablish anything. I'm not talking thinking about Luke or TD. I'm thinking about being back with these guys. You talk to Brian Burns, you have the same kind of context about it's a new year. So to, 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 to assume that the carryover effect from last year's finish to this year's start is going to mean anything is, is kind of naive because every season is different, especially for this team. Rookie quarterbacks, especially number one overall picks, I think the last time, if I'm not mistaken, an overall pick at number one won their opening game was Derek Carr. I'm sorry, David Carr. <laughs> Let's go even further back. David Carr with the Texans back in 02. So there will be stumbling blocks. Cam Newton came out of the gate firing, but that team had deficiencies. Um, as far as the season goes, look, I, I'm looking at eight to nine wins. That's kind of what I'm comfortable with right now. The division is not gangbusters. I think there's some winnable games on that schedule, starting with Atlanta, New Orleans as well. And they're talented, but Dennis Allen, I don't know if I trust that, but looking at what Carolina has, eight to nine wins feels about right. Going beyond nine feels like a bit of a stretch. I think nine or ten wins probably gets it done in that division. But, Billy, as we know, who the hell knows in this division? We just never truly know. But I think – um, you know, a lot of it's based on health. We know that. I mean, you can't keep everybody healthy all the time. Um, Burns, I think, will be there. I think he'll be there week one. I really do. And I think that's a big deal. I love Frankie Louvu. I love his energy. I love his execution. And I like what they've done in the secondary. Chin, big nickel, playing a little more in the box. And then you've got Troy Hill, a good signing, I think, to play the the, the primary nickel position. Don, are you a fan of Von Bell? I am. I am. For what he brings, a strong safety as a guy in the box. I like him a lot. He's been in some big, high leverage games with Cincinnati. He's a physical presence. He made some some nice hits and nice plays. Um, there were some moments in in that preseason, I think, where, where things got backwards in coverage, and the Giants team comes to mind. Eric Rose no longer a part of this primary roster. I think he's on the practice squad. It's not all on him, but yeah, I like Bell a lot. I really do. I like this secondary a lot. The depth issue. You got to look at depth, Billy. And that's the first thing I look at every season. How deep are you in key positions? And that's a concern for me. I think especially at edge rusher, especially maybe an offensive tackle. um, Receiver, again, you're already dealing with injuries. So eight to nine wins feels about right. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I'm. I echo your state or your sentiment on Von Bell. I think he's an outstanding player. Personally, I thought that was one of my favorite acquisitions of this team this offseason. But look, John, I mean, I mean, their depth is going to be tested. A guy that we both respect a heck of a lot, J.C. Horn, has to stay healthy because cornerback is also a an area that the depth maybe isn't as pronounced as. Like you mentioned already, like edge rusher and um, offensive or wide receiver. And so I, the last thing anyone wants to see is a repeat of that game in Tampa where you were you know, relying on third and fourth string cornerbacks and you know, TB12 was picking you apart left and right. And obviously you're not facing Tom anymore. But, I mean, the, the point stands. I mean, any quarterback worth a lick would, you know, have a lot of success in that situation. Um, but, yeah, so for me – you know, I don't necessarily look at it by record. Now, I I understand that this team is always a first-round pick next year. So, yes, it would be ideal for them to win and for that pick not to be high. But I'm just looking at what constitutes a successful season for this franchise. What is the franchise? The franchise is currently Bryce Young. In 2000. 11 i actually did not mind the team going six and ten yeah there were a lot of deficiencies there were a lot of close game losses it was frustrating but i knew after week two when cam newton threw for like over 400 yards against green bay that this guy is legit and i just want to come out of this season knowing that bryce young is a franchise quarterback and look i'm not concerned about him i thought everything that he showed in the preseason was exactly the same guy that we saw in Tuscaloosa. 
but I want that to continue into regular season. He's going to see different defenses. He's going to have to be able to read uh, and place the ball in different areas of the field. And he's going to be stressed quite a bit. So look, record wise, what do I expect? I, I mean, I'm with you. I think seven to eight wins sounds pretty right. Just because I really worry about their depth and key areas. Uh, I mean, certainly if they're healthy, which they're not, I would probably, I think their ceiling is a little higher. So I think seven to eight wins sounds pretty right. But overall, I just want to make sure that when you and I are podcasting in January of 2024, that we have everything confirmed to us that Bryce Young is the franchise QB this team has been looking for. That is a great assessment. I, I love it. And I think that's the, you know, the week-to-week proposition of the NFL is so unpredictable. We, we're coming up on week one. There's some great games on the docket, and half these games will go the opposite direction than we think. So I wouldn't be shocked if Carolina wins by 15, 20 points. I wouldn't be shocked if they lose this game. Things do happen, and it's it's complicated to assess the how many The Bears, for the number one overall pick, beat the 49ers last year in week one. Exactly. In week one, you're still getting your gears going here. But I think you're right about Bryce. Let's see what he could do, man. The anticipation throws. Oh, my goodness. Just being there in person at camp and then seeing that Lions game where he extended playing time. Some of the anticipation he had on the field and touchdown and some of the throws he had. These aren't sexy things, but these are things you look for with Bryce Young's game within structure, within the confines of what he brings. It's really good. And he's been on the biggest of stages, including a couple of times in this stadium he'll be premiering in this weekend down in Atlanta. He's not scared of the big lights, and that's what's encouraging about this quarterback. I'm not concerned about his height at all. The frame is not even an issue right now. I just want to see some fundamental protection being taken care of and Bryce given a fair opportunity to sit back and process without having to go second reaction, without having to get out of structure. Let's see if we can do some of that if you care a lot. And then Miles Sanders, again, being the X factor, Get him involved early. You paid him good money for a reason. Don't go into a game and give him five, six touches. Feed him the rock and get him going. But I think, you know, eight, nine wins, seven even. You know, look, you talk about Cam Newton's first year. Yeah, the defense was porous. They had a hard time. It took them a couple years to get their guys in the building. They've got some good core pieces here. It's an all-star, quote, coaching staff. But that means nothing in week one. you got to go out there and prove it. 1,000%. Look, um, like you said, Cam Noon, he had really tough games as a rookie, but I think we just have to be very um, you know, measured in our analysis. It's a week-to-week league. You know, Bryce Young could have a game where he throws five interceptions, and he could have a game where he throws four touchdowns and 300 plus yards. Let's not put him at the Mahomes tier, you know, when he has that really nice game, and let's not put him in the lower tier when he has a bad game. It's about compiling all the data by the end of the year. And let's hope the consistency, the upward trajectory, you know, word we like both using is there by the end of the year. Let's just make sure that this franchise knows for certain that Bryce Young is their franchise QB moving forward. Um, Do you have any like predictions on this game? I kind of really, I haven't really analyzed it enough on my end right now. Um, But I mean, like you said, I mean, I just think Atlanta's going to run the ball like at least 40 times. And, you know, given Carolina's issues stopping the run, uh, they have to prove that they can stop it before I can believe that they will. Let me say it three times very clearly. Set the edge, set the edge, set the edge. I mean, Billy, when you play Atlanta, they're going to come out in all sorts of personnel packages. And you and I have a lot of respect for Arthur Smith. I mean, we do. Look, Arthur, the, they they had a cheap payroll last year. They had to. And he squeezed out, what, seven wins? And gave Carolina a hard time in that first game where D.J. Moore took off the helmet. And then the second game, Carolina got the best of them. But they've got some weapons. Bijan Robinson's going to be a challenge for these linebackers. And the passing game in particular, they still have uh, Cordell Patterson. Drake London's always a threat. You, let's see if they can get Kyle Pitts cooking. You know, I know the quarterback situation with Radler, uh, I'm sorry, rather with Ritter, I've been covering too much college here, is is tenuous. But again, he's in a good intermediate passer. He can feed the ball to where it needs to go. I think it's an upgrade over Mariota, to be honest. The offensive line is very good for Atlanta. Very good. 
Um, defensively, there's some holes, but they're good in the secondary, man. They've added some pieces, Jesse Bates and others. So prediction, you know, I'm, I'm still leaning Carolina a little bit in this game. Uh, and that's just based objectively. I'm not going to pick Carolina every week here just because we're a Panthers podcast. I think Carolina's well-geared, but these injuries that wide receiver popped up, they're concerning. They're very concerning. Um, for a rookie quarterback coming into his first start, that's going to be critical that they, you know, are able to distribute where they can throughout the offense. And again, Miles Sanders, they got to get the point of attack going on the running game, get the running game going early, get this offensive line confident, get Miles about four or five yards per pop. And you're cooking there. It's, it's going to be a close game, I think. And it comes down to maybe Eddie Pinar once again in Atlanta. Maybe he redeems himself. That'd be a good story. Yeah. I mean, it also helps, you know, a lot of the questions with Bryce Young playing in cold weather or windy areas. I mean, the Dome in Atlanta, like you said, he has experience playing there. But um, all right, folks. Well, again, really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you guys for staying patient with us while we – you know, took a little of a break here trying to figure out our schedule moving forward. But, you know, not to fret, we will be consistently providing analysis post-game and also looking ahead and uh, kind of analyzing what we can expect this team to do, you know, in the future weeks uh, as they prepare for different opponents. So uh, appreciate you guys for joining and talk to you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.